Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Bab. So, Wolves' poor Premier League run continues with a 2-1 home defeat by Everton. Just one league win in eight now since the Arsenal away game in November, when Raul was injured, of course. We'll discuss the issues arising from that, as well as the solid FA Cup win over Palace. Chorley away in the next round, that has a ring to it. And we'll preview the first meeting against West Bromwich Albion since Mick McCarthy's final match in charge, almost nine years ago. Blimey. Goodness, look forward to that, won't we? Now you can sign up to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of Wolves in 2021, if you fancy it, that is, as well as ad-free podcasts via the app. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. Spiders, you okay? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. Trying to look on, on the positives and the bright side of life, as always. Are you? How many of those are you finding the morning after uh, a very narrow defeat by Everton? Now, it has to be said that a lot of Wolves fans are getting very, very aerated, shall we say, about that defeat. It was very narrow. Nuno talked about fine margins. But what was your overall considered impression about the Wolves' performance? I mean, the the performance wasn't wasn't bad. I thought, uh, I guess if if you look at the game, it was it felt like a harsh defeat, albeit one of their own making. Um, I thought they reacted well to conceding. They probably should have gone in at halftime in front. You, you just you're looking at the same problems week after week at the moment. You know they've they've conceded first again. That's eight games in a row they've conceded first, and it's the same problems in both boxes. It's sort of it's sort of that five ten percent in both boxes. You know, Saez has has gone under a header again for the winner. He's been doing that a lot in recent weeks. The other end. Silva's missed a chance, Dendonka's missed a chance. It's the same players again, not scoring goals. You know, neither of those two players have scored from open play this season. Um, and the last 20, I just, I didn't see them scoring really, other than sort of Neves' worldies. And he was excellent again, by the way. And I, I've, I've done a piece on him this morning on, on just how effective he's been this season. And he's, he's kind of one of the few positives and, and constants in this in this struggling team right now. He was good, Samedo was good, but otherwise... Everton had a couple of injuries, certainly not as many as Wolves, but they coped better with having to change their attack, you know, in the absence of Calvert-Lewin and with Richarlison on the bench. And then you look at Wolves and what they offered for the last 20, and you've got Patrick Catroni up front, you know, miles off his miles off match sharpness, and you've got Keanu Hoover as a, as a right forward. As, as, as I kind of tweeted last night, what were the odds you would have got a few weeks ago on Catroni and Hoover being, being two of their three players up front? when they're trying to chase an equaliser versus Everton. I mean, it's, it's farcical, really, when, when, when you step back and look at it. Um, I mean, it, injuries have, have decimated them. And I know and I know it's probably not something that fans want to keep hearing about, but 
you take Traore out again last night. Otisawi was out with illness. Um, I don't think it's COVID related, but Otisawi out with illness. And Traore out. I mean, I don't know who they miss more at the moment, Jackie. Do, do, do they miss Do they miss the old Bolly more than anyone? If you look at size, keep, keeps missing these headers and nobody's attacking balls in the box. Do they miss Johnny more than anyone? I mean, I just I'm pining for him. I'm absolutely pining for a, for a solid, consistent left back. We miss him so much. And then Traore, if Traore and Pedence play last night, I think Wolves probably win. Um, or Jimenez, you know, do they miss Jimenez more than anyone? You know, they, they've won one game since he got injured. He's their Kane. He's their Vardy. He's, he's, he's arguably more important to Wolves than neither of those two players are to their team. And they just they just really struggling without him and all these players. You add them all together, and you can see why Wolves can't can't find a win from anywhere. And until they get these players back, I don't I just don't see this run of form changing. And it doesn't look like they're going to sign anyone in January. So this is where they're at right now, unfortunately. Well, that was the Molyneux View podcast with Tim Spears. He's basically <laughs> summed it up all there, hasn't as, he? As, as I was saying at the top of the podcast, I'm feeling really positive today, Jackie. So just that, just a bit of positivity there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's you positive. I mean, yeah, injuries. No, Bolly, Adam Traore, Pedence, Marcel, Johnny, Raul. They missed all those players. Of course they did. Wolves are not used to having to deal with so many injured players in one go. But of course, we have discussed many times, it is their choice to have a small squad. But in terms specifically of the Everton game, when you looked at the team sheet and you saw no Adama Traore, did you think, oh, I thought it was supposed to be cramp that he went off with against Crystal Palace. Maybe it wasn't cramp after all. Nuno, Nuno said that immediately after the Palace game that he'd come off with cramp. Um, I mean, I, I, I was watching Traore as he, as he limped off the field, and he was he was holding his hamstring, and he didn't look he didn't look great. I mean, uh, you know, not going to Nuno might not have known. I mean, this was straight after the game; he might not have necessarily known what the problem was. But yeah, it's obviously not cramp; it's a bit more than that. My former colleague Nathan Judas took a video out of Traore leaving the stadium last night, walking around the pitch, and he didn't look to be walking very freely. Oh God! I mean, if he doesn't play on Saturday, I mean. <laughs> but yeah, when I saw the team sheet, the first thing I thought of was, uh, "What a shame Gibbs White isn't in his in his preferred position." And I feel like you know, having having watched him at Swansea a couple of times earlier in the season, and he was so great in that free role in the ten. And I know he was sort of in what you'd call a, a ten position last night, but there's nobody in front of him, so he's sort of in this false nine. I don't think that plays to his strengths in terms of getting his head up positive attacking play looking forward but not looking to do it all himself he's looking to to play those through balls and then you had, you had silver kind of stuck out on the left which was never really going to work albeit I was quite impressed with his some of the defending he did but you know going forward no and uh, missed a good chance again and just looks completely flogged at the moment and, and short of confidence uh, I don't see him turning it around at this at this moment in time I and mean, anything needs to be taken out the firing line personally um, and then, so it was all about Neto, and you've got this lad who, who six months ago wasn't even really in the team. Um, it was it was Pedence and Traore who kind of finished the last season as as the first choice uh, wide men with Neto on the bench. Six months later, it's 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 Neto or nothing. It, it was all down to him, this twenty year old, to be Wolves' inspiration. And what do Everton do? You know, they, they stick two men on him. And for the most part, they defended well against him. And once he got his knock, which I thought was going to force him off the field and deprive Wolves of their entire strike force. And, you know, we, we all keep our fingers crossed and pray that Neto doesn't have any, any kind of after effects from that knock, from that foul by Decore. Um, after that, he, he kind of 
he didn't struggle on for the rest of the game, but he, he'd lost he'd lost that kind of spark he had in the opening hour or so. But then you look at it; it's, it's their first choice midfield. It's it's two attacking wing backs who, who, who both played pretty well going forward. I thought Aitnori was good, got his assist. Samedo was good going forward. Um, Cody, Patricio, you know, they, they've still got a decent a decent spine there, but without a couple of really solid defenders like Bolly and Johnny, and without and without the attacking flair up front. They're sort of muddling through at the moment. And like I said, I just don't see them putting a run of results together. As you mentioned, it is a combination of factors. But if you start in defence, I mean, they're so lacking in clean sheets going all the way back to October, Crystal Palace at home. This isn't like the Wolves that we know. And Nuno likes to build his foundations on that solid defence. But if, if you look at the lineup, a back four, which is fine. But the two fullbacks are very much attacking. They're not defensively strong. And then you've got two career midfielders at centre-half. I mean, it's not a major shock. And this is not pointing the finger at Conor Cody in any way, by the way, because um, he was perfectly good. But every time the ball goes over Saïs's head, for all his qualities, he's not a, a defender of an aerial ball. And we saw virtually carbon copy goal of header dunk at Brighton, getting in between Aitnori and Saïs. And then against Everton, it was Keane getting in between Aitnori and Saïs. And if anybody's had five minutes to look at any clips, they'll go, oh yeah, swing in a few crosses and, and sort of aim in the general direction of those two. And you could well have some joy. And and they said, Michael Keane said afterwards, we didn't have any time to work on that formation, not having a striker with Calvert-Lewin injured. And they played a game the other day at the weekend in the cup. They didn't have any time to work on it. So they just cracked on. Um, but it wouldn't take a lot of research to know that if you swing a decent ball in, you're probably going to have some joy from it. Well, I mean, you know exactly what Sam Allardyce is, is going to be looking at for the weekend. Um, I mean, he's just signed Robert Snodgrass to, to deliver free kicks, uh, set pieces and crosses. Uh, that's all that that's that should be their game plan. Um, I mean, they're doing my head in, to be honest. Uh, it's 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 the same every week. And Nuno said it again last night, kind of referenced this lack of aggression in the box, which he'd mentioned after Brighton, which kind of sparked me into writing a piece on how on just how passive they are defensively but it is it's every single week crosses free kicks corners they're just not attacking the ball enough um size i mean you, you say about winning headers he, he, he does he does win a lot of headers you know it's it, in terms of clearances from inside his own box he can do that pretty regularly but but when he's challenging a man at the moment he just he just doesn't seem to uh, to jump on time i don't know if it's like a rhythm issue or, or what but um i think if you're looking at the kind of the last the last 8 to 9 to 10 games since they've changed the formation one they haven't kept a clean sheet since they changed formation that's that's your problem first and foremost we all talk about the lack of goals rightly so if they were keeping the amount of clean sheets that they normally keep they'd be they'd be winning games right now they'd be winning one nils or, or two ones but they haven't kept a clean sheet since they changed formation they've conceded first in the last eight games which is which is remarkable and they're giving themselves an uphill battle, it goes without saying, but they're giving themselves an uphill battle week after week, and they lack the firepower to overcome that. Um, it was different last season. You know, they conceded first a lot last season, and, and people will remember they won a lot of points from behind, won a lot of games from coming from behind. But it was different then. You had Traore and Jimenez in full flow, Jota, great counter-attacking team, the crowd behind them to galvanise them. They miss the crowd. They really do to, to kind of to lift them. I know it's the same for every team, but but we've seen it. We we've lived it. We've breathed it for the past kind of three four years. The crowd and the team are so united 
They've never turned on them once in the stadium in the, since Nuno joined the club. It was a real sense of togetherness there. They do they do miss the fans. So now, anyway, now when they concede first every week, um, they, like I said, they haven't got the firepower to overcome it. For me, I think he's got to return to three four three. Um, you know, if I, I we laud him for trying to change it and and become a more attacking team, and um, I'm an advocate of four two three one when they've got all their players fit. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The 11 that they can put out when everybody's fit is fantastic. And the front four they've got is is as good as most teams in the league. But at the moment, with seven players out, they're struggling for confidence. I think you need to go back to what you know. And the perfect example of that was Man United away when he went to 3-4-3, three, 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 um, made a few changes, and they defended brilliantly for 93 minutes and were so unlucky not to get a draw or even win against the team that's now top of the league. So whether it's against Albion or not, and I suspect against Albion he may stick with 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 four at the back as a more attacking formation because he knows that Albion are just going to come and sit deep and defend. We saw Cody, Saiz and Kilman at United play really well together. I'd bring Kilman back in and do that. You've got a bit more height in the box there as well. Again, I'm going to stress, no, no clean sheets. I think it's in 11 now. Before they changed formation, it was 13 clean sheets in, in 21. So 3-4-3, 3-4-2 has got to return. If it is 4-2-3-1, then I want, I want Gibbs White in the hole, which is which is his preferred position. And if not, I think you need you need Catroni, you need Catroni back in the, in the team either way because Silva, like I said, he's just been flogged at the moment and um, doesn't look like contributing really. I was surprised that Catrone didn't start. He might not be match fit, but he does offer something that... Silver perhaps doesn't a bit more of a cutting edge. We saw him off the bench against Palace, didn't we? Why do you think he didn't start and Fabio Silva was preferred? Um, I think I think probably sharpness and fitness. You know, once you've once you've got Traore out of the team, Gibbs. But how do you get can, it without playing? No, you're right. But I think I think with, with Gibbs White in the team, perhaps struggling for sharpness, um, then maybe he didn't want maybe he didn't want two non fully fully fit players in his attack, perhaps. Um, but you're right. I mean, he needs to start. He needs to come into the team if he's going to get up to speed. If he's the answer between now and May, then yeah, he's he's, he's got to play. So yeah, I, I, Silver's just offering no no goal threat at the moment. You know, miss, missed a half decent chance against Everton, missed a couple of sitters um, against Palace, as we know. And it's time for someone else to kind of take up that baton and re- and relieve this lad of of the mantle which is weighing very heavy on his shoulders. It really is. I mean, we've talked about him a great deal, haven't we? And about his potential. I spent my Saturday night, as you well know, <laughs> scouring oh, through YouTube for every single goal that he's ever scored that's available on YouTube, just to try and establish a bit of a pattern. And his only league goal in his career, apart from the penalty at Burnley, was one where the goalkeeper basically made an error. He he did really well to close him down. The goalkeeper presented it to him and he, he tapped it home. The other goals tend to be on his right foot. I found a couple with his head. One, I think, was an own goal in a youth team match. Another for Portugal under-19s against Italy. Literally couldn't miss from a couple of yards out. I'm not denigrating the lad. I'm just trying to get a pattern of what his strengths are. And he seems to be good at link-up play when he has other players moving in and around him. And of course, with him being the prime focal point, he hasn't always had that necessarily sort of one-twos neatly with players around him. So Wolves perhaps aren't getting the best out of him. But in terms of finishing, there isn't a huge amount of a, a track record to suggest that 
it was worth spending that amount on him. And if you were to be supremely critical to him, which some people are, you could suggest that Wolves spent £72 million in the summer on a defender who can't defend and a striker who can't score goals. And that's where some of the frustration is born from amongst the supporters in terms of not having improved the side for this season and real concerns about the decision-making on the transfer front. Yeah, and, and not just a huge amount spent in the summer, but that's obviously had a knock-on effect now because, you know, the word is that, that there isn't a lot of money, if any, to spend this month anyway, and that this will also impact, you know, this summer's budget. And Semedo, such a key sign-in, and someone who they really felt or feel can help evolve the team. And it was um, a decision they made in in full kind of confidence and faith that Doherty should move on and Semedo should come in and improve the team in terms of pace and agility and athleticism and be part of this this sort of evolution to become a, a more of a front foot, positive, technically gifted team. You know, Semedo replacing Doherty is seen as a, a key part of that. What is it, 10, 10, 15 games in? I mean, the guy's getting better going forward, I must say. Against Palace, he was... Um, he was sort of unstoppable. A few times he got the ball and, and was bursting into the Palace third. And again, some really nice touches last night going forward. That's very promising. And if him and Traore can play together every week and strike up an understanding, you've got the potential for a, a really good attacking, very, very quick, pacey partnership with plenty of assists down that right flank. However, he's so unreliable defensively Um it's just basic things like positioning and awareness. So you can't put that down to a, um, a formation issue or adjusting to the league. It's just basics, really. And it's the same It's the same every week. It just looks like he's got a mistake in him or a lapse of concentration every week. And, you know, you compare that to Matt Doherty. I mean, you know, Doherty wasn't perfect and, and he certainly had his critics. But, you know, I think... I think they would have conceded a, a, a decent number of goals fewer this season with with him in the team, and certainly him and Johnny in the team. But what was what was the thinking there in in the scouting? Because surely they must know what type of player he is. And if Nuno wanted to switch to a back four, um, then he must have thought of him as being a pretty solid right back. And yet we're sitting here going, well, his positioning is poor, his awareness is poor, his concentration's poor, but he's decent going forward. How does that work? Well, from what and I gather, and it costs that much money, up to thirty-seven million pounds. From what I gather, um, they weren't planning on, they didn't envisage changing the formation in the summer. Um, he was brought in as a wing back, and they were planning to continue to play three-four-three, three-five-two. The change of formation has come about. I, I would have thought from their lack of goals this season and the fact that they were they were really struggling in those games they had against Fulham and Leeds and Leicester. They just weren't even creating chances, let alone really scoring many goals. So that's kind of led to the formation change. Has he got the players to do that? I mean, you look at the 11 that he put out against Everton. No, it's not a 4-2-3-1 team. As, as I said earlier, when everyone's fit, I think they've got a great team for that formation, but but not at the moment. Ain't Nori as well, much better going forwards than defensively. Exactly looked, the same. He's so lightweight. Exactly. I mean, what what was that in the, in the 92nd, 93rd minute when he sort of... He sort of I didn't actually see a replay of it, but he sort of trod on the ball and then Everton should have gone through yeah, and scored on a counter. Away, yeah. I mean, again, he's, he's done a lot of that. And again, as you've said there, great going forward. 
and sets up the goal last night. And I think he's growing in confidence going forward and, and looking to take players on now, which is great. But when you've only got when you've only got two players at the other end rather than three, then you really you really place in. Um, it's, it's it's risky. It's a risky move, and they're just not good enough defensively at the moment. And those two guys are not helping. Um, Fernando Marcel, again, a strange signing. You, when you look at his injury record and his suspension record and the amount of games he actually plays, it's no surprise that he's that he's consistently getting injured now. So it's all a bit of a mess, really. And you know, you mentioned you mentioned Silver. I, I I do feel sorry for him personally. You know, take the price tag out of it. Um, he wasn't meant to play this many games this season. That was never the idea. That was never the plan. Albeit, you know, you you can't plan for things like injuries, etc. But um, but I just think that we're really at risk of of damaging this this lad's confidence and and, and development. Um, Wolves knew they weren't buying a thirty five million pound player. You know, they hoped that he would become one. I think there are some signs there in terms of movement. I'm, I'm I like the fact that he's getting these chances and he's the chances aren't being put on a plate for him you know it is a lot to do with his movement and getting in the right positions and getting getting a yard on his defender he has done a lot of that in the last few weeks and got in those positions the end product isn't isn't there right now but as, as I've said before what was Raul Jimenez like when he was 18 you know what was Steve Bull like when he was 18 he's, he's probably probably still working, working in, in a bed factory. shop wasn't he yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> bed exactly. Factory, in yeah. A, in a bed, yeah exactly so um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot more to come from this lad. It might be in five years' time. It might not drop. It might, but that might comes not drop until he's 23. To, but yeah, yeah. But for the right here, right now, 35 million looks like uh, looks like far too much money to spend, and it's having knock-on effects. But that brings us back to the question of the decision making and to the recruitment, because this poor lad is being flogged every week. And I'm watching him against Everton. His work rate is phenomenal. His attitude is phenomenal. Yeah, and absolutely. He's so good at the link-up play when he gets a chance, but we're not seeing the best of him for external reasons. So it brings back to the decision-making. So are they missing Kevin Thelwell? Are they missing Laurie Dalrymple in a slightly different um, part of the club? Is it right that Jeff Shee and Nuno and George Mendes, let's face it, are the triumvirate? I know they have a very uh, impressive... Uh, recruitment team but are they getting enough say I mean is it healthy behind the scenes in that department Tim should fans be worried about that I I I think they do miss Kevin Thelwell I think they miss his overall big picture overarching kind of um, look at it I mean that was that was one of his kind of major strengths and looking at the players that would be coming through looking at where there were gaps in the squad I think if he was at the club Fabio Silva would have joined anyway um and I think at the time they were very, very happy with, with, the, with the deal that they made. And, you know, the way it was explained to me, it made sense in terms of the fact that he was one of the highest rated players in Europe of his position and, and of his age group. And again, as it was explained to me at the time, he's not a highlights player. He's not especially quick. He's not especially technically gifted. But what he is good at is movement in the box and scoring goals. Now, he's got one of those at the moment, but not the other. But he's a kid. He's a kid. Uh, I, 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 th- I think it'll happen for him one day. I, th- I think he's got something about him. And you mentioned his work rate and his attitude, both of which are spot on. If he was, if he was moody, if he was moaning, if he was throwing his weight around, um, there'd be an issue. But there's not. He seems like a really good lad with his head on his shoulders. And I think it'll come come for him one day. But at this moment in time, um, I, don't, I guess he's a hindrance really, because you, you need a goal scorer at the tip of the team and. 
He also suffers for the fact that no one else is scoring goals. There's no one to take the weight off this lad, off this lad's shoulders. If if Traore and Neto, if Dendonka, I love Dendonka, oh. but my God, he's doing my head in. Doing my head in. He hasn't oh. scored this season. How many sitters? He's missed more sitters than Fabio Silva. I'll tell you that for free. Loads so many chances. chances. The had. one against Palace, where it was a really good save um, by Butland, but he went near post. I sent you the the, the freeze frame of, of the point of contact. Really, really good move from Adama, started by Matinho. A great ball for him, but he had the goal gaping. A huge amount of space for him to aim for, and he went for the really narrow near post. There have been loads of cases this season when he's either been firing straight at the keeper or off target, you know, the header against Arsenal, which then Neto put away. Um, so we've all raved about him and what he offers. But we're also talking about him being the goal-scoring midfielder. But he hasn't scored since the glance header from the Neto free kick against Everton in July. And then last night, that goal by Neves, which I know I've been banging on about it for ages, about central midfielders not scoring goals. That was the first Wolves goal from open play from a central midfielder in 28 games. With Neves and Matinho, there isn't an onus on them to score. I think it'd it'd be nice if they chip in. And we know, you know, Neves with his world is and everything. It'd be nice if they chipped in, but the onus isn't on them to score. But there is an onus on Dendonka to score because of the runs he makes into the box, the amount of times he's in the box to try and get on the end of crosses, the amount of times he does get on the end of crosses and gets in really good goal-scoring positions. He should he should have scored three or four at least, really, this season, if you look at the chances he's had. So that's all that's missing from his game. Um, Wolves are so much better with him and the team I think he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet for me he, he really helps those around him and is, is a good defensive presence and works harder than anyone runs harder than anyone but just isn't scoring goals at the moment so I think he got four, four or five last season from like 20 shots which was the best ratio of anyone in the Wolves squad but uh, this season it, it just it just hasn't happened and going back to the Palace game, which was a real positive, very solid, very good win, fabulous goal by Adama Traore on his unfavoured left foot. And he hasn't scored in the Premier League for over a year now, since December 2019. But there did seem to be a policy directive there from Nuno to shoot. It was pretty evident at the time. And it was good to see because when Wolves are offensive and really positive from the off, they do seem to be a lot more comfortable and all seems to be well with the world. And Yes, it was um, It was just the one goal they scored, but they kept a clean sheet. So, you know, we can't gloss over that. That's something they need to take into the next game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Palace made a lot of changes, which you've got to take into account. But the main thing I took away from that game, and it already feels like a long time ago, um, was, was Traore cutting in on his left foot, which is something we never see. You know, as as amazing as as and as sort of freakish as as Traore is, as, as beating his man every single time, he always goes to the byline. You know what he's going to do. Doesn't mean you can stop it, but you know what he's going to do. Against Palace, I think it was in the first ten minutes, he, he cut inside on his left foot and and stuck a low shot just wide of the near post, and I, I was like, wow, he never does that, um, and it just puts doubts doubt in the defender's mind. And then for the goal, I mean, it shows you what a left foot he's got. I mean, what a strike that was. Um, better, better than any shot he's hit with his right foot this season. So <clears throat> that's great if he can add that variety to his game. And I think that's something that Nuno definitely wants. And uh, I remember speaking to Nuno about Pedro Neto a few weeks ago, and he said, as good as he's been, you know, the one thing we do want from Neto is is the ability to play on the right flank. They don't think he's good enough to kind of do that. So they can't really swap Traore and Neto over at the moment. But I think that's something they want to do going forward during matches is for them to switch wings and be able to cut inside or get to the flanks and be even harder to, to defend against. So, yeah, that was a great positive. Uh, you know, 
really, really hope he's fit for the weekend, Traore, because his last two games, he's come back to something approaching his best and um, that makes such a difference to this team. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ignori spinning away from Decore. Blasting that ball across the face of goal. And it was sent back into the goal by Ruben Neves. Normally he strikes him outside the box. This time he was thinking inside the box. Just taking the injuries out of it for a minute, because that's not something that Nuno can control. I mean, how do you think he's faring at the moment in terms of his decision making, both in terms of his starting lineups that he's picking and in terms of his tactics and in terms of his substitutions? Substitutions have, have never been a strong point. I mean, even in the championship days, um, he did sort of struggle at times to really change a game and in terms of changing formations or substitutions. That's never really been his forte, to be honest. Um, I think of late, he hasn't really had the options to really do much with it. And you look at the, the Brighton bench, was an absolute joke, and it's kind of led them to recalling Gibbs-White and Catroni, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, do you know what? With Nuno, I've thought this for a while, since the summer, really, and this is something that fans have started to pick up on, I think. He looks like... He's got a lot on his shoulders and he looks like it's affecting him to me. He's not the Nuno that we know. Um, he looks like he's got a, a cloud hanging over his head almost constantly. And, you know, we know he doesn't open much in, in to the media and in press conferences, but one thing he, he'll constantly talk about at the moment is, is the COVID situation and, and how much it's it's affected the club and football and him as well. I mean, he's, he referenced his family. Um I think after Palace against Friday and, and said how difficult it is at the moment. It can't be forgotten. We, we all know, we can all look at our own lives and, and see how it's affected us in the, in the last almost a year now. And it can't be forgotten that for Nuno, you know, his family, his wife are back in Portugal. And normally it's a quick two-hour flight. You know, he would often pop back between matches um, if there was time to do so, just for a day or so. He hasn't been able to do that. Um I don't know the last time he went home, but it would have been a long time ago now. And if you look at how many times he would have been home in the last sort of six, seven, eight months, a, a tiny amount, that's got to have a massive impact on his on his sort of mental health, I guess you'd say. And it must be so hard to then be a leader and galvanise others when you yourself are, are struggling inside and um, and the situation is depressing for all of us and, and just get, and gets worse. It's not like it's even getting better at the moment, it's getting worse. And, you know, I know we all hope that the end is in sight, but at the moment it doesn't feel that way. So I, I, I think that's having an impact on him as well. And um, com- coupled with poor results, injuries, you know, losing Jimenez, which is traumatic for everybody and, and, um, and issues with the team and probably issues with the transfer market this month. He'll have wanted Wolves to go out and sign a striker. Instead, he's he's got Catroni back, who he didn't want. So if you add all that up, I don't think he's very happy at the moment. And um, and that's got to be affecting himself and the team. But the, the tide is turning against him. He does need a couple of results, really. And um, it's a bit of a mess on and off, on and off the field at the moment. 
So it's a good win, Tim, for Wolves against Palace. And I don't know about you, I just felt when that draw was going on, Chorley away was so clearly in my mind. Was it yours too? I had a meme ready. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> um, I had I had I had my my Chorley article from last year ready. It just it just felt like fate, to be honest. Um, what what a great moment! What a great moment! And what a fantastic draw! It's just I I, I love the FA Cup for these reasons, and it's going to be a great great occasion. Um, I think this is one that you will feel the absence of fans more keenly than than most games this season. You know the amount that would love to be there. Victory Park, uh, it's, it's got it's got two proper stands, or I say proper stands, two small stands, and then a shed behind one goal, what well, looks like a shed anyway, with room for about 20 people. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a great draw. I, I, I can't wait for that game, to be honest. It's going to be a delight. Oh, and it's one of those that when the draw was made, nobody nationally would have batted an eyelid, surely. No, that's... Wolves, yeah. they would have been thinking, oh, yeah, I hope they get Liverpool and Man United, as they felt themselves. But... Um, but even though I don't remember it at the time, I'm delighted to say I was um, more into Madonna at the time than uh, than football. But um, but yeah, you. that's I like to think I was at the time. Um, moving on, cut that out, cut that out. Um, <laughs> cut, cut. Uh, I, I love it when the podcasts oh, take this God. kind of turn. This is great. Like a virgin. <laughs> oh, oh, that's that's what um, you sang on the chase, isn't it? <laughs> that that is your that's your theme tune for life. It seems. <laughs> um, but it is a great draw. It is a great draw. And we'll look forward to that at the time. And then there's the issue potentially, if and when Wolves do get past Chorley, of Southampton stroke Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury. again, stroke Arsenal. Stroke Arsenal. Yeah, well, I, I like. I quite, I quite like this fourth, fifth round draw in a row because you can see the path to the quarters now. And if, if if Wolves do start to get some of their injured players back, then we know what a, what a good cup team they can be. So, yeah, great. And... Um, but yeah, the the the, the game. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see what Team Wolves put out. I can't wait to see what the pitch is like. Um, the, the I love the fact that um, the manager in 1986, when they when they when they famously beat Wolves three nil at Burnham Park, we should say at Bolton, um, was called Ken Wright, who's now the chairman and has, has sort of never left the club. A, a lovely guy. I spoke to him when I did this piece uh, a little while ago, kind of outlining. What a horrendous day it was in, in Wolves' history. I mean, it kept it kept Chorley going for a few years, and and it's and it's remembered as the best day in their history, and probably the worst in in, in Wolves' history. So, it's uh, it's a, it's a great story. Can't wait. Let's look at January transfer window. When we last recorded this pod, what was it? A week and a half, two weeks ago, I can't remember. All the pod was basically about which striker Wolves would be signing in January, whether permanent or loan till the end of the season, and maybe more than one player. I mean, I have to be honest, at the time, it never occurred to me that Wolves weren't actually going to sign a striker in January. And we did touch on the Catrone and Morgan Gibbs-White loans and whether they'd be recalled, but believed at the time that wasn't going to be the case so what happened Tim please well 48 hours is a long time in football as they say I mean yeah the, we recorded on the Monday didn't we after Brighton and the word from Wolves that day was Catroni's if Catroni comes back it's only going to be for him to be sent out again because he's not playing at Fiorentina and he, and he needs to play but it probably won't be for Wolves and the idea of, of Gibbs White coming back wasn't wasn't on the table either because He'd only just come back for Swansea after three months out, made a, a brief substitute appearance, and and it seemed like that was the best place for him to continue his development. It is a shame they've had to bring him back in that regard, actually, because he was doing so well at Swansea earlier in the season. Anyway, what's changed is one the Pedence injury. I mean, he's out for a few weeks, which is more than they 
they first thought, I believe. And two, the frustration they've had in the January transfer window. I think they've I think they've had a look at it for well, they've had a look at it for a month really after Jimenez was injured in terms of looking at who's out there and who might be available. Once the window's open, they've spent a week trying to recruit a couple of targets. I think they've immediately hit a few cul-de-sacs, a few dead ends, and realised the bench that they put out at Brighton, where Nuno felt he couldn't make a change when they needed a, a winner in the last few minutes, he felt he could not bring on Taylor Perry or Theo Corbiano because he doesn't feel up to it. I think they've looked at that and thought, okay, God, we need these are our players. We need to improve the bench right now, um, which is, a, which is a, a sensible decision. However, yeah, going forward and not signing anyone, I mean, from what I understand... That is the plan right now, is not not to sign anyone. They're not looking to bring anyone in. I think they've seen that there's no not much value in the market. To get this out of the way, in their defence, it's probably the worst January you can imagine. January is always hard. If you add in the new rules surrounding Brexit and you add in the COVID situation, I mean, it's, it's, it's a disgusting, horrible market to buy in or loan in this month. You know, there is that in their defence. You know, you look at Liverpool playing midfielders at centre half and even even they're not bringing a defender in and you know that they feel financially it's not viable so i think it's a similar situation with wolves really they've looked at short term deals clubs are unwilling to let players go you know that the small <laughs> we know wolves are quite particular about who they want in their team and who they think is going to fit their style of play so it's not like there are 20 players out there who, who, they, who they feel can come in and, and do the job to replace him. And there's, there'll only be a select few who they think can do that job. The ones that they've looked at, clubs are unwilling to let players go. And I think Wolves are reluctant to spend a lot of money or commit to spending money in the summer if it's a sort of a loan, a loan to buy situation. So um, there's no move in the offing at the moment, in, at this moment in time. Albeit that perspective may change in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I think. Any more, any more injuries up front um, or if they lose sort of two, three games in a row, I, th- I think they may look at it. I guess with, with Silva being one for the future and with Jimenez coming back, I think they must be confident that Jimenez is going to be okay coming back because he's, you know, he's back in the gym at Compton now. They obviously know far more about the situation than we do in terms of his recovery. And th- combine that with Foson's approach, really, in that they never throw money at a situation. Um it's always long term. It's always a considered approach, which is which is to be lauded. Looking at the long term, but in the in the short term, I mean, personally, I think they need someone now, but they're unwilling they're unwilling to put that money in at this time to bring someone in that doesn't have value at the end of that deal. Yeah, the sensible approach is a good one when in the cold light of day you look at it. But then fans are also looking at the. £37 million they spent on Semedo in the summer and taking Fabio Silva out of it because, okay, that was an investment. They're an investment firm. They feel in a few years' time they'll get their investment back. So that's fine. But you can't take those deals in isolation. You can't help but look at that money that was put towards Semedo and think, was he any better than Lamptey from Chelsea? Well, obviously not. Um, Lots of other players potentially that could have come in and done a a similar or better job. Um, And that decision-making then has potentially hamstrung them now at a time where they're desperate for firepower because it does affect them. If they go a goal behind, they have to muster everything to try and get level with no real belief that that the goals are just there waiting for them if they pile forward. I mean, the idea that they go like this until the end of the season, I mean, 
is there nobody from the Premier League? Okay, I understand bringing players in from abroad might be much more of a risk, but a, a Josh King who's going to be out of contract, who's just ready-made, he could just bomb up to the Midlands, take his coronavirus test, what, they pay eight to £10 million pounds or something and potentially massively strengthen them and give them more of a focal point up front? Is that really not an option? I guess from their point of view, they would say it sort of goes against their philosophy to spend £10 million on a player. These are very who- unusual times, though. This is not... This is not your ideal philosophical time, is it? What's happening now in the world and this season with Wolves injuries and Raul? It's not your ideal scenario, is it? So is it not an extenuating circumstances kind of situation where, I mean, Everton wouldn't go between now and the end of the season without Calvert-Lewin, would they? No, true. I guess they're looking at the situation in terms of it would be a gamble financially. And I think one of the things to mention is income levels have been you know, massively affected by lack of fans this year as well. And mm, the, f- yeah. the, fu- the future on that front is so unclear. So I guess they're looking at the numbers really and, and they're thinking Wolves aren't in danger of, of going down at this point. I think, I think you- Definitely I think, not. I think, I think at this point you'd say uh, a very small chance of, of getting sucked into a relegation battle. So they don't really want to to gamble and bring someone in. I mean, if you remember in the championship when they were struggling for goals, albeit still winning matches, you know they brought in Benicophobia on loan, and it was such a lift at that time. I mean, they were like I said, they were struggling for goals. Bonatini had stopped scoring, and Ophobia came in. I think he scored five, six, or seven goals, and and helped them kick on and help them win the title. So a similar impact now would be just what they need. To be honest, you know, I think it galvanised players around them to see a fresh face coming in, uh, a confident goal scorer coming in. At the moment, there's no plans to do that. I mean, we'll see. There's two, like I said, the two weeks, more than two weeks left of the market. I think if they don't beat Albion, if they draw nil-nil against Albion, then there may be there may be a change of heart, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not going to rule it out. But at this moment in time, I think they've looked at what's out there. They've looked at clubs that are willing to let unwilling to let players go or willing to let players go and they, there's just no one that fits the bill that they want and I guess it's up to them to kind of come out and explain that at the end of the window really in their own words but Catrone I mean Nuno discarded him a year ago for 18 months he banished him like a like like uh, something from a from a Shakespeare bloody play banished him to Italy for 18 months said you're not coming back and is I mean is he the answer I mean he he can score. He can score. His record at Milan was magnificent when he was a teenager. Now he's nineteen. I think he scored he scored sixteen in his first season at Milan. But since then, he got nine in twenty three to start the next season. Then he went twenty without a goal. Twenty games without a goal. That's when Wolves signed him. Enter Wolves. He scored three in twenty four for Wolves, albeit nine of those were starts. Then he went to Fiorentina where he scored five in 34, albeit only 11 of those are starts. And he hasn't scored in his last 12, albeit most of those have been off the bench. So you, you look at his career, he started with 25 in 65, which is fantastic for a teenager at a Serie A level. Brilliant. But since then, he scored eight in 78. Now that's 78, again, that's 78 appearances. They're not all starts. I mean, he's, he's, he's passionate. I love his work rate. He runs around like a puppy chasing a tennis ball. You know, I'm 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 all for that, but it's but in terms of quality and confidence in front of goal, we've not we've not seen it from him really, and I think it's asking a lot of him and Gibbs White to come in and make an impact. Gibbs White's not started since October. Catroni hasn't started this season. We shouldn't expect too much from them too soon. But as Nuno said the other day, they haven't they haven't got much time to play with really. They need these guys up up, up to speed. 
So, like I said, he's looked at the Brighton bench, they've looked at the market and they and they felt, look, we've got Catroni on our books, let's bring him back and see what he can do. But Nuno was far more positive um, about Gibbs-White's return in his press conference than Catroni's return. And... Uh, the issues, as I wrote at the time, about his attitude when he was last when he was last at Wolves, not happy with his lack of game time, um, a, a moody presence around Compton Park, uh, and that's the main reason he, he was shipped off. So, did he fall out with Nuno at all, or was it just his general? I don't demeanor? think they had a fallout. I mean, he's he denied that this week and said, "Look, I never had a problem with him." And I remember when Catroni left on loan, he said, "Look, me and Patrick had a long conversation yesterday. You know, it was all sort of open dialogue." But I think, um, yeah, he wasn't impressed with how Catroni compared to the likes of Traore and Dendonka. Traore and Dendonka had to wait a long time to sort of force their way into the team. Pedence did the same a few months later. Um, you know, stayed professional, stayed humble, as they, as they like to say, and, and worked their way into the team. Catroni did the opposite. Like I said, a bit of a moody presence. Wasn't really willing to put in the grafts to show Nuno that he was he was worthy of what displacing Raul Jimenez at that time so like I said it's, it's a sensible move to improve the squad in the short term you know you could look at Rafa Mir and Conor Ronan out on loan if, if you're going to go down that route Rafa Mir's scored a few in La Liga at least he's fully fit um, but to not add on top of that I think they're relying on getting the injured players back quickly and keeping them fit otherwise this this season's going to going to peter out yeah and in terms of the Catrone deal I mean, the best, best case scenario is that he comes back, he scores goals and increases his value again, which, what, they paid £16 million for him and it must be, I dread to think what he'd be worth now in terms of the goal output that he's um, produced in the last couple of seasons or so. So if you're looking positively about that deal, I mean, I think it's good that he's back. It's good that he's an option. He looked decent when he came on against Palace. And of course, he's got the small matter of a black country derby that if he were to start in that... Personally, I hope he does if he's fit enough. The idea that he could score a goal or two then, it could go down in history with Wolves supporters. I mean, that is a game to give the entire club a massive, massive boost, to give individual careers a massive, massive boost. And if either he or Fabio Silva scores, then it'll be remembered for such a long time. And these dark clouds which are gathering over the heads of Wolves fans, otherwise frustrated in life and concerned about the direction in which their team's going... It could all be obliterated in one Saturday lunchtime. No, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, Black Country derbies over the years often been sort of pivotal games, and it comes at a bad time for Wolves in terms of their form and their injuries. But it comes at a good time in terms of it's, as you say, the most galvanising game to 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 rouse the fan base that that you could wish for, really. And you also make a really good point about Catroni's value, which has hit rock bottom um, since as as he's not playing for Fiorentina. Nobody's going to pay £16 million for him at this moment in time. However, if he knocks five goals in between now and the end of the season or a few decent performances, then that value sort of heads back up towards the £16 million they'll want if, if they do decide to move him on, which again is part of Fosun's you know, value philosophy, and rightly so. Absolutely. I mean, he's got that history of scoring goals. It'll be a focal point. And Morgan Gibbs-White was used to playing in behind a couple of strikers at Swansea. He could do a playing in behind a striker or two Definitely. at Wolves. Could need you to be able to get yeah, the best out see, of him. So there's lots of, there. yeah, there's lots of positivity if those oh, two are able to combine. Come on, come on, Spider. <laughs> um, because I tell you what, if you're a West Bromwich Albion fan or journalist listening to this, you'd be thinking, bloody hell, Wolves are right for the taking. Everyone's down on their luck. Everyone's getting on the manager's back, getting on the player's back. The striker can't score goals. They've got no firepower. But actually, 
they have got talented players. It's a one-off game. How do you see it going? And, and who do you think Nuno should select and perhaps will select? Uh, Traore. I don't, I don't care how many legs he's got um, available. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got to play. He's the difference for me. If 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 like against Everton, Neto's the only real threat, then Albion will just put two or three players on him. I, I'm I'm worried, Jack. I am worried. I'm really worried. It's the first thing I thought of uh, full time last night. Uh, this game looming large on Saturday. I am worried because the Albion fans, Albion fans, have taken the pressure off themselves by they're all tweeting saying this week. Oh, there's no way we'll beat Wolves. Um, the, the, I sent you that tweet, didn't I? That the the nine years of them lording it over Wolves is is mm-hmm. over. They're fine with that. They're expecting defeat. They're a shambles. That Blackpool game they lost the other day. Um, so they've got nothing to lose. They're already getting their excuses in already. But uh, Wolves fans are dreading it as well. I mean, of 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 both sets of fans, ever dreaded a match as as much as this. <laughs> um, I think come twelve thirty on on Saturday, everyone will be massively up for it. It's going to be a horrible game. If Albion score first, they might have to set an alarm off at Molyneux. That's how it'll feel. Um, it's um, if if you know if Allardyce comes and Allardyce is Wolves, then. I am a little bit worried. It's all about that first goal for me. The concern I have is Wolves defensively and Albion will just target them from from set pieces and crosses. And if Wolves... I mean, there's potential for a decent attack at the other end, like you say, maybe Gibbs-White behind Catroni with Traore and Neto either side. There's there's goals there. But at the moment, yeah. it's, it's just about it's just about those fine margins in both boxes. You know, there's a lot there's a lot to be unhappy about at the moment. But if you look at that Everton performance, it's just five or ten percent in both boxes. Just tighten up a little bit at the back and put two chances away instead of one, and they're back to back to winning ways, as they say. Um, but it's gonna it's it's not gonna be a nice game. I'm not looking forward to it. I think what Nuno will want is for it not to play out like a derby. He won't want it to be like the Villa game where it was a lot, a lot of lot of fouls. Um, Mike Dean was the ref that day, wasn't he? He won't want it to play out like a derby. He'll want Wolves to take control of the game and for their superior quality to shine through because even with even with all these injuries, they've got a far superior team and they should be winning. It is interesting to know what the approach will be, whether Nuno will be saying to his players, and it doesn't really matter what he says to the media, it's what he says to his players in the dressing room that counts, whether he'll be heightening the fact that it's a massive derby amongst the supporters to the players to make sure they know, bearing in mind that they are very, very much in a bubble. They're not seeing any Wolves fans. They're not even going to supermarkets. So nobody's tapping on the shoulder and going, you better be there down the road at the weekend. There's none of that, is there? It, they are so, so far removed from supporters. And let's face it, their agents do the tweets. So, I mean, they're not even going to see those. <laughs> Will Nuno really impress upon them the importance of it? Or do you think he'll try to remove that from their shoulders and say, just be free, play your own game, keep a clean sheet and and play to your strengths? They'll know. Stick to the game plan. They're, they'll know. I've no doubt about that. Connor Cody will let them know. I mean, he, even he hasn't played in a Black Country derby, by the way. I don't think any of, I assume, none of the players who lined up on Saturday will have played in a Black Country derby. And they'll come off the pitch at full time, still not knowing what it's like to play in one because it's it's not a proper derby without fans in the stadium, as we know. However, he will stress the importance of how big this game is. He's he's done it quite a lot with, with, with the Villa games over the years. Wolves have played Villa quite a few times under Nuno's watch. And he's always been 
keen to stress pre-match, you know, we know how important this game is. I mean, that's Villa. That's nothing, to be honest. It's barely no. even a derby for me. So, no. yeah, they'll, they'll be fully well aware. But I, and I, I, think, I think that they'll need to use... I, I want to see them channel that emotion in terms of the intensity. I don't want them to get embroiled in a, in a scrap and bookings and tackles flying around and, and moaning to the ref and whatnot. I don't want to see that because that's what Albion want, uh, playing to their hands. And we know exactly what Albion are going to do and how they're going to approach the game. And it's up to Wolves to take it to them with intensity, get that first goal, and then they should win from there. The referee will be will be important, probably. Um, the referee is Michael Oliver. And with your expertise, can you give us a hint as to whether that's a good or a bad thing? Good. He's the best referee in the country. Okay, excellent. Yes, absolutely a good thing. It's more the VARs I'm concerned about these days because they don't always challenge the ref in the way that they should. Sometimes when they're more junior and they have somebody more senior, as we saw, say, at Burnley away at the end of last season with that Mike Dean Doherty penalty, for example, the VARs aren't always saying to the referee, I think you made a clear and obvious error, you might want to go and have a look. So that's the main issue, not just the referee. But no, he's an excellent, excellent referee and he's a Newcastle United fan, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but of course, Albion have a Wolves fan in charge, although, as he uh, said to the media, it is... Um, his unveiling press conference, as we say, that, uh, oh, no, 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 I'm not really a Wolves fan. I mean, obviously, I went to Albion one week and Wolves the next as a kid. Um, direct quote from his uh, audio on uh, TalkSport last year. Yes, I'm a Wolves fan. And I've spoken to Sam many times when uh, interviewing him off air. Say, by the way, Wolves have won or Wolves have lost. He goes, oh, have they? And he's he's 100% Wolves. Don't you worry about that. But I mean, he has he'll, a job know, to he'll do. know exactly what this derby's about. I mean, I've, I've, yeah. driven, I've driven past his house where in, in Dudley, where he, where he grew up. Um, he's black country. He had to take the bread. gold flag down now, is he? Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> a few Tesco bags up there. What? <laughs> yeah, he'll know full well black country through and through. It's a shame he's lost his accent, really, because um, he's yeah he's 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 proper black country. But um, he'll be he'll be Agent Allardyce if if Wolves have won on Saturday. Okay, you put out a tweet asking Wolves supporters what it means for them. I'm trying to find the responses, but I'm having to wade through a load of stuff about what I might have been doing in um, in my private life from Everton supporters who are still weighing in. That's nice of them. I've always liked Everton as well. What a shame. Um, Dazzling Dave, literally we've waited nine years, guys, of hearing 5-1 from them lot down the road to put that right and behind us. The only shame is not being able to have a full Molyneux to show the world what a proper derby is. Uh, Mark Poulton says, recently watched a bully last-minute winner at the Hawthorns game back and the Mark Kendall penalty save with 10 minutes left is unbelievable. Gets right down to the bottom corner and even stays on his line before that became a thing. I mean, that was that's the that's the that's the Black Country derby, isn't yeah. it? I mean, oh God, I you know I'm I cling on to my youth, Jackie, but I wish I was a few years older so I could be have been at that game. Um, I wrote a piece on it last year. It's just the most phenomenal match. Um, Wolves coming from behind to win two one. Bully his first game back at the Albion after they sold him scoring uh, a winner in front of what 6000 behind the goal i mean they talk about limbs now jackie they talk about limbs <laughs> you've you've seen that you've seen that goal they oh, go yeah. bonkers and then oh, um, yeah. paul berry athletic contributor was was in the away in that day and he, he said he didn't even see it because the, the everyone's just you know absolute carnage in that away end um interestingly this is the longest you mentioned 9 years this is the longest there's ever been without a black country derby um apart from apart from wartime so we've waited a long time and for that five-one to be the last that day was 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 a was apocalyptic. I mean, it was it was 
it was astonishing. Well, I've tried to forget about it ever since, but Wolves have waited a long time for, for revenge and there is massive anticipation about this weekend and more than a few nerves as well. God, absolutely. I mean, I'd rather think about the hat-trick by you and Roberts, which I was very fortunate enough to be in the away end that day. But for every one of those, so many other ones. I mean, I had to, well, had to, it was a pleasure to, in theory, commentate for Five Live on Wolves Albion in the FA Cup. And uh, <laughs> that's when any allegiance goes literally out the window. But it's only afterwards you're thinking, oh, but that was nowhere near the most painful. There's been loads of them over the years. We've had an awful record. I mean, they've... You know, they've not only lauded it over Wolves for the last nine years, but for plenty before that as well. It's been slim pickings. Jay Bothroyd's winner, Ewan Roberts, yeah, with, with scoring in both games in 96, 97. Um, uh, there was one where Stephen Fletcher scored twice. But other than that, yeah, it's not many in the last kind of 20 years, 30 years. Snookered at Bayes Magnet says the 5-1 humiliation lingers in the memory. It was the final straw, the darkest day and the culmination of months of systemic failure on and off the pitch. This weekend is important both in its own right and for the bigger picture. A loss could be some fans final straw yet again. Final straw? Wow, that's strong. Blimey, get a few players back and surely it's very different. But I think the emotion is what's taking over for this match from the fans, not from the players, of course, but from the fans. There is so much emotion. There is that terrible record. The fact that Wolves haven't played them for so many years. Um, I mean, that 5-1 humiliation, I remember watching it at the time and wondering about Mick McCarthy's future. And of course, Steve Morgan was owner at the time and he was skiing at the time. And I was told that he saw Mick's post-match interview and saw that he was so down about it and felt that he didn't expect him to be able to lift the team and made the decision then that he felt that was the end. I think it was 13 games between then and the end of the season. And Wolves expected to have a manager in place shortly afterwards, but they hadn't planned for sacking Mick, so they hadn't lined anybody up. And you'll remember as, as well as me, the sort of embarrassing wild goose chase of trying to find a manager that was out of work to take over at the end of the season and then they couldn't find one and then they appointed Mick's assistant, Terry Connor, who was on the phone to Mick most of the time for advice by all accounts. And it was just a mess, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, it's, you know, you, you can get career-defining seminal moments from these games. There have been a few. I mean, any hope Jez Moxie had of salving, salvaging a reputation with Wolves fans was lost the day that he gave the, gave the Albion the South Bank. Um, for that FA Cup game, and then try to uh, try to appease them with, with a pint of pint. I mean, no one, no one will ever forget that. That was that was a crazy season. Five five derbies that season, including the two playoff semi finals. I mean, it just sort of elicits the highest highs and the lowest lows. I mean, for me personally, even just Jody Craddock's equaliser in that playoff semi final that season at Molyneux, we Wolves lost the game three two. But I remember being so emotional when Craddock scored that equaliser. Um, that was such a... I never heard Molyneux as loud as that day. I mean, careers are made on it as well. Rob, Rob Hindmarch is the only thing he's, mm. he's known for, God bless him, is, yeah. is for scoring an equaliser at the Hawthorns. Um, I got a tweet from CNNCT Consultancy. He said, Rob Hindmarch, enough said. Paul Crichton getting dogs abuse all game. Do you remember that one? I think it was yeah. 1994. <laughs> Albion keeper Paul Crichton just kept putting, putting the ball out of play repeatedly. Goal kick after goal kick. It was, it was, like, he had, it was like he had the yips. It was crazy. Um, he says, nervous feeling building the month before. It's the first fixture you look for when the fixtures come out. Uh, dreading work so much if we lost and getting to work early if we won. 
Um, and then James Caulfield with a nice memory. He says the playoff semi-final at home, which I was just referencing. We go two one up. The bloke next to us is midway through a steak and kidney pie. The gravy starts going everywhere. It's a lost cause. The pie then gets hurled from the Steve Bull upper to the Steve Bull lower, which is where the Albion fans were. Seeing it deconstruct midair in slow motion and disappear below was Black Country Derby gold. <laughs> oh, it's got to be chicken bolty though, hasn't it? Chicken bolty pie. But I mean, my, my main sort of sort of gut feeling about the Albion rivalry is not actually necessarily the meetings with them. It's that dreaded season that you don't ever want me to talk about ever again, which is. 2001, oh, yeah. 2002, when Wolves were 11 points clear of Albion in the march, uh, Albion being in third place, and Wolves looked for all the world as if they were going to sail into the Premier League. And then that elbow by Kevin uh, Muscat against Grimsby at Molyneux, and for some reason, all the confidence drained out of Wolves, and they could barely win a game between then and the end of the season. And it was slow torture. I went to virtually every single game home and away that season, including the playoff semi-final against Norwich, the late Malky Mackay header for 3-1. And it was it was torture. It wasn't 90 minutes, in which, in which case afterwards you go, devastated, lost a game. It was torture that run in towards the end of the season not going up yes they went up in the playoff final the following season but I don't think I'll ever forget the feeling the gut feeling of agony towards the end of that campaign when you live it every single match and you can feel the confidence draining it was um it was hideous. So, in other words, Wolves, if you'd like to beat Albion on Saturday, then feel free to do so. You're right. I mean, that, that, is, that, is the, that is the worst feeling. It doesn't get any worse than that. And I'm interested to kind of know how people perceive it elsewhere in the country. I mean, people I've met, friends I've met from outside the area, they, they don't really know the significance of the derby, really. I guess probably because historically it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great, great rivalry. And it only seems to be really since the 80s and the 90s in particular, where it's, it's become a real hatred. I mean, it is genuine hatred there. Um, I mean, I, talk, I think I've said before on this podcast, I went through a phase of refusing to use Tesco carrier bags yep. when they had the, the blue and white uh, barcodes down the middle of it. I just couldn't, could not even use them. Um, we're, we're probably quite similar as clubs really in fan bases, but I just find nothing redeeming or likeable about them whatsoever, to be honest. I remember being at the Hawthorns in the away end when the seats were flying everywhere. And it is a proper bitter rivalry. It's not one of these friendly ones where you've no, got... No, nasty. it is nasty, it is. Yeah, it is. and... You do wonder whether players and managers and some of the coaching staff really know about about the bitterness. Do they need to? They probably do. But um, anyway, we I, shall see. I don't see. think you can know until you feel it. And without fans, it just won't be the same at all. But but yeah, it's still an absolutely huge game. Just finally, any other business? Want to say well done to the Wolves medical team for raising five and a half thousand pounds for cure leukemia with their charity work over December. Absolutely fantastic. And they want to say thank you to all the fans uh, for their wonderful efforts, players donating items, people retweeting, promoting the event um, and the people that actually spent money during a difficult financial period. So well done to Ollie Leeper and the team there. Thank you, Tim. Enjoy on Saturday if you can, you lucky creature. I think you are getting to go and uh, you'll report back with your findings next week. A reminder that you can sign up to The Athletic for just three ninety nine a month for the first six months and enjoy all of Tim's coverage of Wolves this year as well as 
ad-free podcasts. If you listen on the app, then you don't have any of the adverts and you can read all of Tim's work on there as well as online, of course. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod. We'll be back next week. After, after a win, after three points. Black country derby. Come on. Give on me babbies. The Athletic. <laughs>